0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Change Your Mind, Change Your Future, recorded on Sunday, January 7th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Um, if you're a first-time guest at Harvest, my name is Mike. I am the pastor who gets to preach most of the sermons here, and that is a privilege and an honor. We have four campuses. One is in, in beautiful Freeport, Pennsylvania. One is in Indiana, Pennsylvania. One is in the lovely Petroleum Valley of Pennsylvania. And you guys, as you hear that, you can cheer for your campus, but um, I want to, I want to, I actually want to do an announcement. You may have just heard your campus pastor do an announcement and you think, oh no, not one more, but no, this is the one. Forget what they said, listen to what I say. (laughs) India mission trip. I want to clarify what this is and invite someone from every campus or someones from every campus to come to this mission trip. We have a team in India, that's not this one. But we also have a missionary we support in India named Tilak Papu, who, as you can tell by his name, is Indian himself. His wife is also Indian, but she was raised in New York. (laughs) So that can happen, but now she lives in India. And they have an excellent ministry in New Delhi, and I'm very excited about this mission trip. Very excited. It's an opportunity to teach lots and lots of kids... Vacation Bible School. And I would love it if we had someone from, or more than one someone from every single campus go and represent on this mission trip. They say that the best, the best education is travel. You, you will be changed forever by going to India. You will never look at the world the same again. It opens your eyes, it gives you a whole new view. So you get the benefit of just going to India. I realize it cost a couple thousand dollars. You may have that. You may not have that. One thing we have found is that on short-term mission trips, since you're going to do the Lord's work and not just be a tourist, your family and friends are often more than happy to help you get there if, you, if you're willing to write them a little letter and say, hey, I'm going to India. Would you like to, to be a part of what I do? And, but you may have the money yourself. Either way, by faith, Um, I'm I'm asking you to to come. There's an information meeting on the 12th, and it's here in Katanning. So if you're in the other three campuses, you get to get in your car and drive to where I'm standing now. Don't drive to where I'm standing now because cars aren't supposed to be up here, but drive outside, walk in, and go to this meeting on the 12th. Uh, All right? Think about it now. Pray about it now. Don't let it pass you by. You have one short life to live. One, if you thought, oh, one of these days I'm going to do something like that, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I've seen all those movies where meteors hit the earth. You may not have that long. You might want to do it right now. It is a new year. And I have a very short three, really a three-sermon New Year's. You didn't even know it was happening because this is a stealth sermon series this is the second of them, and I want to talk about someone you know and love, King David. Amen. King David did some very bad things, and he began with porn. He was a young king. He was young as a king, but he had been through a lot. He'd had a job. He'd worked hard as a shepherd. He was also a musician. Uh, he, he also was a national hero. He, remember the whole Goliath deal? He slew Goliath, and and not only him, but the tribes around, thought of him as a great hero. On top of that, he was already a general in the army. He'd been through some good times. He's been through some bad times until his woman left home with a brown-eyed man. Wait, that's a Led Zeppelin song, sorry. But he was a musician, and we don't know what kind of music he made, but we knew it was very effective because he would play music once for a king who had an evil spirit and the evil, the guy would actually calm down. That's some good music. How many of you are, have, have um, fourth, fifth, sixth graders in, and you'd like to play some music that calmed them down? That's powerful music. And that's, that's what it was like. He had everything. Uh, he was called ruddy and handsome in the Bible. So he was a good looking dude. Everything was going for him and now he is the king and, and he talks with God and God loves him. Everything is going Very, very good, until he broke the commandment that says, you should not covet your neighbor's wife. If a woman's married to another man, that's not your woman. I'm gonna read you the story from 2 Samuel, okay? We're going to read the Bible together. The Bible says commit yourself to the public reading of Scripture, so we're gonna do that right here the story part one, what I would call the fall into sin. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch as he was walking on the roof. It's not unusual in the uh, in the desert to have houses with roofs you walk on. He's not up on a, you know, walking on a slanted roof or anything. It's just a flat roof. Obviously it has a couch on top of it. So it's a nice place to, to hang out. And He saw from the roof a woman bathing. So the great king is about to become a peeping tom. And the woman was very beautiful. You know, indoor plumbing wasn't all that well-known back then, obviously, so you might bathe outside. Behind a wall, you wouldn't think the king is, is the peeping tom looking over. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. So an awful, awful lot had to go into that. He saw her. He got the hunger. He was like, I've got to have this woman. He was not in love. He was in lust. And, 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 he, and he's the king. He's the king. And if, uh, if you, if you, you know, get a knock on the door, the king would like to see you. You go see what the king wants. He flirts. He probably plays her a song. He probably just wrote it for her right then. And the next thing you know, a little candlelight, and he did what he shouldn't do. So, verse 4, David sent messengers. Oh, I already read that part. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. That's pretty funny. That's what she was doing. And then she, she came and unpurified herself. And then she returned to her house. Now, the woman conceived, and she sent and told David... The rabbit done died. (laughs) Some of you too young for that. I'm pregnant. I have conceived. So David sent word to Joab, that's one of his commanders, send me Uriah the Hittite. See, Uriah is a soldier, and he's out fighting bad guys for his king, to whom he's very loyal. And (laughs) little does he know, his king is not so loyal to him. And he says... Send him home, because he has a plan. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was generally going. How's it going? How's the war? Stab any good people lately? You know, He's just chatting with Uriah. And uh, Uriah's probably like, what am I doing home? Did he just need a report? Why why am I here? Um, So then David said, well, enough chit-chat. Go down to your house and wash your feet. That's normally what I say when it's time for people to leave. Could you go home now and wash your feet? Because <laughs> your feet are just, they must not smell good, you know. <laughs> go wash your feet. So he sends him down to his house to wash his feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. So he goes to his house and he has a, a parting gift. This is cool, right? And Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his own house. He didn't even go home. When they told David, Uriah did not go to his house, David said to Uriah, "Ah, you still here? Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths or tents probably be a a translation that makes more sense here. They dwell in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. They're just sleeping under the stars because they're fighting a battle. Should I go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? And David's thinking, well, that's exactly what I'm shooting for here. And then he says, as you live, as your soul lives, I'm not gonna do such a thing. They're out there fighting for their lives. I'm not gonna go and enjoy my wife. Well, it was always David's plan that you go home and enjoy your wife. He's trying to cover up a sin, right? So David said to Uriah, well then, remain here with me today, and tomorrow I'll uh, I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence, and he drank so that he made him drunk. Have another drink. It'll be all right. This is David to Uriah. Have you had enough beer yet? Oh, I don't think I've had enough. Well, I'm the king, and I think it's time for more beer, more wine. And, and so he got him smashed. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but did not go down to his house. So even getting drunk, this guy, even drunk, he's loyal to his king and to his fellow soldiers. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. He's got to try something else. And he sent it by the hand of Uriah. He says, I need you to take a letter back to Joab for me. He goes, good, I didn't know what we were doing here. Maybe you needed a buddy. We could shoot pool together. We can drink together. Whatever you want, king. Well, I want you to take this letter back to Joab. So he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so he may be struck down and die. How awful is David in this moment? He takes a man's wife. He tries to trick him into a cover-up, which if it worked, he'd be raising another man's child thinking it was his child. And the dude is too pure-hearted. He's, he's like a Marine, right? He's like, Semper Fi, baby. I'm here to, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm all in with my boys. And he goes, okay, fine. If you're all Semper Fi and eat rocks and all that stuff, put them in the front where it's really bad. Everyone just step back and then he's all by himself. Hmm. And he had the letter. What if he had opened that? I guess he was very trustworthy. Maybe he couldn't read. I don't know. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. Let's jump down to verse 22. So the messenger went and he came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. And the messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. So he's describing the battle. It's kind of exciting. Then the archers shot down at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is also dead. And David's like, they're there. (laughs) He says, thus you shall say to Joab, don't let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. So he's thinking, look, Uriah... He's a soldier. He could die. Soldiers die all the time. So what? So what if he dies? It's not really my fault, is it? That's the guy who killed him. This sword devours one, now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. Go in and kill those people for killing our friends. And encourage them. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband, Okay, gotta go. (laughs) I mean, how did this look? I don't know exactly. Because it says, And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. And the thing, okay, how long did she lament, right? She got over it pretty quick. It was obviously less than nine months. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Does the Bible sometimes, the way it's translated, sound a little understated to you? The thing that he had done displeased the Lord. (laughs) Displeased the Lord. Displeased. He just displeased. I think he needs a little bit of wrath of God kind of talk. I remember my mom, before she was a Christian, and she did become one. I was just thinking, um, before the sermon, I don't know why I was thinking, oh, because we have baptism next week. I was thinking about baptism. I got to baptize my own mother when she was about 54 years old which is my age, the first year I was a preacher. And um, now she's in heaven. But I remember once before she was a Christian, she still believed there was a God. And one time she told us kids, she says, she's talking about God or something. And she said, you know you're in trouble if God points his finger at you and says, you tick me off. And I'm like, okay. You know, even from a pagan mom, truth can come. And I'm thinking, David, you displease the Lord? say adultery? Conspiracy to cover up his own crime? Conspiracy to commit murder? He actually did murder. He, how could he do this? This was a man after God's own heart. A man who stood before, before the Philistine and said, all Israel will know that there is a God. Because <laughs> they seem to have forgotten Because I'm going to slay this guy and cut his head off. He was the one who would not, who let King Saul attack him and he wouldn't kill him. He says, because I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And look what he did. You know what? He was blinded by the good life. The good life can blind you. He was arrogant. He was the king and he got away with it. And he was hardened to sin. The same is true for you and me. When we sin and get away with it, we lose sight of how evil it is before God. We are self-blinded, not seeing the harm we do to ourselves and others. Often, we remember how bad our sin is only if we get caught. It is an American, and not just America, any nation that God has blessed at any time in history with wealth, and relative peace, sins will increase because sins won't bring the same punishments. And people, you think you're getting away with stuff. You know, kings are like this. Politicians are like this. You know, we know this about politicians, right? Republican politicians, Democrat politicians, any of them, do you trust them? Especially the more powerful ones? Because there's no one to tell them you can't do that. You cannot do the post office scandal. You, that's another one you're too old for. You cannot do the email scandal. You can do anything you want. No one's going to say don't do that. And, and, and we even think about that in, 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 in politics that's local. How much corruption happens with the people who who whose job to police us? Because there's no one going to make you... Do anything. People say power corrupts and absolute and and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't think that's true. Here I am to challenge that. Now it's not a Bible verse, so you can do that. I don't think power corrupts anybody. I think human beings are corrupt. And power just gives you opportunity. <laughs> you know, when people become powerful and they do things that they never would have done. Uh, I, I, you hear powerful people say that. I, I never would have done this before. Well, if you talk to someone who's, who does heroin, they say the same thing. They don't have any power. They say, I found myself doing things I never thought I'd do. Find someone who's in another man's, another man's bed. With a, he'll tell you, I never thought I'd do this. Now people are corrupt. Power is a petri dish, I'll give you that. You know, remember science class, a little pink stuff? And, and germs grew really well in there. Power is a petri dish for sin. Because it, it's a perfect, sin can thrive in that environment. David's in big trouble now. Because he's the king. And no one, no one can rebuke him. No one. Who's going to arrest the king? And heck, any, the only thing that happened is, some guy died. Now if you're Uriah's mother, you're like... There's got to be a conspiracy. (laughs) Um, The only one who knows is Joab right now. Joab, if Joab's lips aren't tight, maybe he wants to whack Joab. He might even think of that. Give him enough time. This sin is going to be found out if I don't kill Joab too. He killed another man to hide that he slept with his wife. He's a righteous guy. But God is merciful and God shepherded David. God would not allow him to continue in sin. Let's read that part of the story, okay? This is the story part two. I call it Sin Exposed. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's one of God's preachers. He says, go talk to Dave. It's it's interesting to see what he says too, because he's very creative, very creative. I think a lot of churches die because they're boring. And they're boring because they just do whatever they did last year. And if you don't do whatever you did last year, some of the people who have been around a long time will say, We need to get rid of this preacher. He doesn't do what we did last year. You know, you make a change, you got to warn people. Changing the order of service, taking down pews, don't do it. But the Bible never shows that kind of boredom in its preaching. And, and and this really is preaching to one guy. Here, here, here's what Nathan does. Nathan came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city. He just starts telling them a story. One was rich, the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. Now he's talking to David, right? The shepherd king. He loves sheep and in the good way. I mean, he's, he's, he doesn't eat them or maybe does eat them. I don't know, but... He, he just cares about them. He even fought a lion over a sheep and a bear over a sheep. If a bear were coming to get sheep, I'd say, how many can he eat? <laughs> I'm not getting between a bear and a sheep. Like, who's with me on this? If a lion comes up, and all this business, the lion can have whatever he needs. I'll build a fence later. He loves lambs. The little bit of cute sheep. This poor man, nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. Saved his little money and bought himself a lamb. And he brought it up. And it grew up with him and with his children bouncing around little lammy. Can we take the lammy to school? No, no, no. It'll make the children laugh and play. For some reason, that's not good. <laughs> and it used to eat of his... You ever met a pet lover? Now, some of you may be this person, and I, I'm not saying don't be this person. But to some of us, we're going, ugh, look, the dog just ate right out of his mouth. Yuck. But there are people who love their dog so much, they go, oh, come here, little honey. This is David. He's an animal lover. And so he hears this story about this poor guy, and he's getting into it. He used to eat morsel and drink from his cup. Who would drink from a cup after your cat licked out of it? Now, there's some of you who would do it because you really love your cat. Well, that's what this guy's like. I, I sometimes like to bite out of something, give it to my dog. I want my spit on there so he can smell it and know I'm the master. It's like a dominating thing I do. Just remember, you get my scraps. Other users are like, oh, 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 come here, fluffy. Well, that's this guy. He's an animal lover. And this gets to David's heart because David loves animals. You know, he, he was with the SPCA and all that stuff. And now there came... He says... He used to eat and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. If he had a daughter, she must have been really ugly. I don't know. (laughs) smelled funny (laughs) because I can't tell the difference between you and a lamb. (laughs) It's not good. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own. Come on in, traveler. One of his own flock or herd and prepare for the guest who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man. He took the man's pet and he killed it and he cooked it and he served it to his guests and this guy was rich and he had everything. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. So David hears the story and he's ticked and he's the king. So just show me the guy. I have the power to do something about it. So David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and I'm just the kind of king who would kill him. Well, I added that part. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. He's gonna give him four little baby lambs because he did this thing. And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. You didn't see yourself in that story, Dave? Oh, that's how we are. Before you point your finger at Dave, you might be the man or the woman. We're so self-righteous. You know what gossip is? It's you showing off how self-righteous you are. It's you stealing someone else's lamb. That's what it is. The reason you gossip and put other people down is because you're, you're righteous. You're good. They're stupid. They're idiots, but you're not. You are the man. We're so blind. We see he's not a good person. Well, what about you? I'm all right. You are the man. Then, then he brings the hammer. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. When, once you get to thus says the Lord, if a prophet says it, God is talking to you. You want good news? This is not good news. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. I gave you the whole nation. And if that weren't enough, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what's evil in his sight? You who wrote a song Blessed be the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You, why have you done this? You struck down Uriah the Hittite. You don't think anyone sees it. Guess who sees your sin? With a sword and you've taken his wife to be your wife and you've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore a sword shall never depart from your house because you despise me. And you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. that means out of your own family. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. But I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Again, a little bit of understatement there. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Does it seem that God was harsh with David? Trouble will never leave your home then your child's going to die. That's serious. Unto whom much is given, much is required. God was merciful to David. When God shows us the truth about our sins, that is a gift, despite the shame involved. It's, it, it, to have your secret sins exposed, what, what if we took all your secret sins that you have, right, and we put them on a screen in front of us all at our church? How'd you like that? We're not gonna do that. Would you be ashamed of yourself? It's things you're not ashamed of. You walk around, you're not ashamed of yourself. You walk up to me, hello, how are you? I'm not ashamed of myself. If I could throw your sin in your face, you would be. And if I could throw my sin in your face, I'd be ashamed. And you think that's bad? Maybe it's not so bad. It is not unusual that people have come to Harvest Community Church because they were caught in their sin somewhere. That's what brings them to church. If only I would have got away with it. If only the cops didn't find out. If only my wife didn't find out. If only my husband didn't find out. If only if nobody found out. If nobody found out, you'd have kept on in your callous ways and you wouldn't have noticed. You would have kept doing the sins you were doing because they weren't bothering you. Who knows what else David would have done? I could name names, but I didn't ask any of them permission. Not that they'd mind, but I could probably name names of people who've come to our church because they got caught doing something wrong by a family member or by the police. And it was a gift. It brought him to the gospel. It brought him to salvation. God's being very good to David. He's not being mean to David. David was doing his own damage. When we see the truth about our sin, we one, see the damage our sin is causing to us and others. You don't think of your sin as damaging others, but it's always damaging others. Adultery is very common sin for people who are Christians and not Christians. Very common sin. And when people, before they get caught in it, it's just exciting and fun and all this stupidness. There's somebody's kids, very often, and there's the betrayal, and then there's another family (laughs) that's betrayed, and another family that's betrayed, and there's... There's a screwed up social fabric. No one even knows what to do at Christmas time anymore with you people. And you screwed it up yourself. You don't think about the damage you're doing. Well then you got your sins that are just private sins. till they're not. Because you're so into your perversion and your private porn. You start to become a little sociopathic and don't even know it. You can't treat people as anything but Objects. You're not giving them what you should give them, and you are taking what you shouldn't take. Or you're high all the time. Or you're greedy all the time. I don't care what your sin is. You're hurting other people constantly with it. Your angry outbursts, your stealing. To, to have your sin exposed so that you're ashamed of yourself is a gift because it stops you in your tracks. When you're caught, you'll do anything to get out of it, right? You're caught. You'll do anything. I'll, uh, I'll give back everything I stole. I'll start going to church every week and I'll be nice, I'll be nice to my brother again. I'll, whatever it is. <laughs> Two, when you're exposed to your sin, you can change your mind. And this is the point of this sermon, by the way. In case you want to find my rhythm for the New, new Year's sermon, I'd, I'm not trying to be tricky. <laughs> I'm pretty plain and simple. Last week... Read your Bible. It was easy. This week, if you're in sin, it's time to repent. Because that's what changing your mind is. The word repent means change your mind. That's all it means. Change your mind. Change your mind about your sin. Well, what was David's mind about his sin? It seems to be working. (laughs) That was his mind. Now I changed my mind. It's not working. It's awful. I better change my mind and change my path. A lot of people, they're only sorry because they got caught, and they never change their minds. They cry, oh, take me back, honey. I'm sorry I beat you. I'll never beat you again. Trust me, I've turned over a new leaf. And then when the pressure's off, the neighbors aren't yelling, the cops are gone, they beat you again. That is not changing your mind. That's just being a whiny squirrel. And, And we can all be whiny squirrels. But that's not repentance. Third, if your sin gets exposed, you can seek God's forgiveness. And God will wash it all away. Now, all that to get to our main text to the day. And that's Psalm 51. So if you turn in your Bible to Psalm 51. You say, he's just getting to the text. Was that the introduction? No, we're more than halfway finished with the sermon. So don't be frightened. But Psalm 51 is the text. The reason Psalm 51 is interesting... Well, there might be a lot of reasons, but the reason I think it's interesting is because David is going to tell us how a godly man responds to great failure, because he tells us what he's thinking. You want to read more of the story, you go read it yourself in the Bible, but as far as what he's thinking, he wrote a song. He's like Adele. If bad things happen, he writes a song. I mean, Adele, we need more people to abuse and break up with Adele because she does her best music when she's miserable. Just kidding. I don't want to abuse Adele. But did you notice he had all those hit songs? Well, David's like Adele. He, he writes when things are good. He writes when things are bad. And this is the song he wrote. So let's read it together. And it says right in the beginning of the psalm, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Bible's pretty raw there, going into Bathsheba. Do we have to have that detail? Yeah, but there it is. One. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. His prayer is God, have mercy on me. And here's how here's how we want to pray. God, have mercy on me because I was on the roof and and I couldn't help it. She should have known. She shouldn't have taken off her clothes. I think she was trying to seduce me, and I was weak. God, God, it's every man's battle. We all get weak, and and then and then next thing you know, it just happened. She was over, and it happened. It was her perfume. Oh, and God, you gotta forgive me because I'm weak. He's not pathetic like that, and you shouldn't be either. Uh, I can tell you, when people, when people want to say they're sorry for sins to another person, they say, I messed up. Or uh, I had a mistake. I fell. No, you sinned. And, and if you can't be that honest with yourself, you're never going to change. You didn't make a mistake. <laughs> no, you didn't have an accident. Mistake is spilling your drink. <laughs> Sleeping with another woman is not a mistake. It's a sin. I slipped up again. No, you didn't slip up. You got stone drunk and started a fight. You're a drunkard and violent. Don't call me a drunkard. I have a disease. Disease is stupid. You're a drunkard. If you're not that honest with yourself, you'll never change. But what does he say? He doesn't say, God have mercy on me because I'm an idiot. He says, according to your steadfast love. This is why God loved David. He understood the goodness of God. If you, go to a, if you owe a rich man and you cannot pay him and he's bringing the law on you, don't sit around telling him all your silly excuses of why you're broke. Say to him, Because you have millions, (laughs) would you have mercy on me? (laughs) And that's what he does. He says, according to, how how much mercy do you have, God? I want you to measure your mercy account, and then look at me. According to your abundant mercy, blot out. Well, that, God's love is is ever, is forever. (laughs) He's got plenty. So God, according to your love, would you forgive me? Not because it wasn't so bad. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He doesn't say, I clean myself up. I turned over a new leaf. He doesn't. He says, I am dung covered. I am dirty. (laughs) I am dirty. Would you clean me? It's a much different prayer than I'm going to do better and I turned over a new leaf. You won't change from turning over a new leaf. Because... You're the same leaf. (laughs) It's just the other side. (laughs) You're ugly on both sides of your leaf. What do you want to turn over a new leaf for? What you need is to be cleaned. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now that's a very interesting thing to say. Because I was thinking about Uriah's family. (laughs) They could say, wait a minute, what do you mean against God only? I think you sinned against us. Well, he did, but he's showing us a a spiritual reality. God made man in his image. And God says, whenever you mistreat another human, you're sinning against me, because that's my creation. And David recognizes that, yeah, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against the baby in her womb, he sinned against Uriah's family and Uriah, but he realizes that all sin is against God. You can sin against people your whole life, and they say, "I don't know why God has a problem with me." Well, it's because you've been sinning against Him your whole life, and He knew that, <laughs> so that you may be justified in your word, you're blameless in your judgment. He's saying, "I'm guilty." Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Some people wrongly think that has to do with the sex being sinful. It is not sinful to have sex within marriage. It is what the sin was is it's passed on from humanity from conception you're not a blank slate Um, give a child long enough they will learn right from wrong and once they do learn right from wrong they will do wrong you don't have to teach them you have to teach them not to behold you delight in truth in the inner being and teach me wisdom in the secret heart when god looks at you what's he want truth well i don't have it in me would you put it in me god would you clean me Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. That's like tide or dawn dishwashing liquid. Okay, we don't use hyssop. (laughs) Purge me with dawn dishwashing liquid, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Because when you're in sin and you know it, you you don't feel good. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Please, would you create the clean heart? Would you give me the truth that you want in me? And at this point, if you're not a Christian or new to Christianity and don't understand what you believe yet, that might sound odd to you. You go to God and don't say, Here I am, I'm good enough for you, and I'll try hard. He doesn't want that. You come to him and say, I'm not good enough. Would you make me good? And that's his prayer here. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And if you do this, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. I, the guilty, I'm gonna go and say, hey, by the way, I did a lot of bad things, but God has forgiven me. And I'm telling you, sinners, you wanna leave your sin behind. He becomes a teacher. Jump down to verse 16. Very important verse. You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it you would not be pleased with a burnt offering for the sacrifices of the Lord is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Why is that important to you and I? What he's saying here is if your heart is not right, your worship is useless. And the reason that's important is because one of the most common errors we can make is we think, I know my heart ain't right, but at least I go to church. Well, you might as well not waste your time. You're insulting God by going to church. <laughs> well, my heart ain't right, but at least once in a while I give some money to the poor. So, well, I'm worshiping God. He doesn't want it. You see, the Jews would bring offerings. I brought my bull, I brought my sheep. <laughs> So that ought to make you happy, God in the sky. He's like, nope. Your religion is worthless. Unless it's accompanied by or preceded by a broken and contrite heart. For that, God won't despise. Remember when Jesus walked the earth, he said, two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector, which was seen as a very evil thing then. Today, tax collectors, I want you to know, are not evil. What they do is evil, but what they are not evil. (laughs) This is the great big government who has everything, comes and takes my little ewe lamb. (laughs) But but it's getting personal now. Let's get back to the sermon. (laughs) So the Pharisee comes and he prays this. God, thank you that you did not make me like this schmuck here. Because I tithe. And I go to church. I I make sacrifices and I pray just like I'm supposed to. Unlike this clown. This guy prays, I can't even raise my head to you, God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus says, which one of these two left justified? Which one, please, God? And he says, I tell you, it was the publican. It was the tax collector. Why? Why? God loves people who who sin more. They both sinned. One of them was honest about it. The other tried to church it up. I'll wash it away with some religion. You'd be amazed what people who raise their hand on the front row will do in the bedroom where they're not supposed to be and think somehow this is all right. If your heart's not right, your worship's not right. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Now he's praying for his nation, because he is the king. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered. He's saying, the whole nation needs to know this lesson, God. You don't want us to come and worship you. You don't want me just to be king and all that stuff, unless my heart is broken. As far as we know from the Bible, if you read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and, and David lived a long time after this event, but never again did he do wickedness like this in his life. He changed. He repented. God cleaned him. That can be you. The wickedness you are doing can be repented of. You can change your mind. I'm saying further than that you should change your mind you're a fool not to change your mind you say well nobody's caught me in my sin yet i don't feel the shame can't you learn from someone else's mistake this is not in the bible for david's sake if i'm david and i'm writing the bible i leave this out i talk to samuel samuel can we skip that episode and move on to the next chapter (laughs) i'm gonna write a song about how sad i am let's not put this one in the bible he wrote it for you. So you don't have to go through what he went through. The wickedness you are doing can be repented of, forgiven, and you can enjoy the pleasure of God. David knew he could enjoy the pleasure of God. What he did, he, he can't undo. You can't undo what he did. If you've committed adultery, you can't undo the hurt. It's done. But, that doesn't mean God is done with the adulterer. Just because you can't fix what you broke doesn't mean God is done with you. If your heart is broken before him, his mercy is enough. You at this point may say, well, my sin's bad. You don't know, Pastor. God could never forgive me. If that, that thought doesn't come from truth, but it comes, I'm not saying you don't honestly feel that, but it's not a truth. It's not true. God can forgive you. First, you probably didn't do anything worse than David. Now, you might have. You may be a real crumb in here. <laughs> you may have. Committed adultery and made lots of children and killed lots of men. I don't know. If so, please repent quickly or stay away from me and my family. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying, gotta be practical here. (laughs) But the reason why even if you did worse than David, which you probably did not, Jesus Christ paid for it on a cross. There's no way... Any one of us, regular human beings, could ever sin so badly that the precious life of God's own Son was not of greater value. Would I say to God, no, my sin's so great that there's nothing you can do. You're too weak. Would you say that to God? No, of course you wouldn't. Well, if you put it that way, Pastor, well, that's the way I put it. Jesus says, thus it is written. Jesus said this, that the Christ should suffer. He said, I was going to suffer on a cross. And on the third day, rise from the dead. Why did Jesus die and rise? So we could have crucifixes. So we could have this cross. No, (laughs) not so we could have jewelry. Here's why he said, so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. The reason I died, the Messiah must suffer and rise again, is so that repentance is empowered to lead to the forgiveness of sins. You see, God does not forgive unpaid debts. And he will not forgive David or you unless someone pays. David couldn't pay. You can't pay. So he paid himself. Right? It's 2018. If you're in sin, and you'd know it, I don't know it. And I, I, I talk to you, Christian. If you're not a Christian, everything you do is sin. <laughs> Repent and believe in Christ and be saved. But, Christian, listen to me. It's not going to get easier later. If, you, if David had been allowed to go on, he'd have keep, kept making it worse. He was callous, he was hard hearted. And he, like all of us do, he was blind to what he was doing because he never got caught. And he was a king. What was he going to do next? Was Joab next? I think Joab might have been next. Joab, come on, see me. If I was Joab, I'd be like, no. I know a secret. No one else knows his secret. And he didn't even know why. He just knew what. I, I might have to cut the tongue out of everyone in the palace who helped get that girl in the first place. <laughs> who knows what he'd have done? It's not going to get easier to repent from sins in February that you're doing in January. It'll get worse. You'll be more ground down by him. You'll do more damage by him. Your heart may be more hardened by it. It'll be harder. You have the Holy Spirit of God in a way that David did not. I don't know exactly what that is, but somehow the New Testament shows us that Christians have the indwelling Holy Spirit with a power that that all the Old Testament saints wish wish they had. You don't need Nathan. You have the Holy Spirit. Is there a sin that you need to repent of? And you might be thinking adultery. It could be you are a hopeless gossip and you've always thought it's okay to run down people, not realizing until you heard in a sermon that you are being self-righteous. As if you don't sin and you're better than other people. You could be a hopeless liar. You could be stealing, pilfering at work. Oh, I ain't stealing. I take a little here, a little there. The company doesn't know. No, that's the way it is until the God's light shines on it. Then it's you're a thief breaking the commandment, despising God. I don't know what your sin is. But I know that God's grace God's love, if you say, have mercy on me according, not to me deserving it, but according to your loving kindness, he'll have mercy. 2018, start it with a clean heart. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.